Welcome to But Jesus Drank Wine and other stories that kept us stuck. I'm Mead. And I'm Christy. In this podcast, we'll explore the stories that kept us, well, stuck, wanting to drink and not wanting to drink all at the same time. Join us as we show you that freedom from alcohol does not have to mean a life sentence of misery and missing out, but actually means living an authentic life full of peace, joy, and purpose. Hi, babe. How are you? Oh my gosh. Hey, what's up? Can you believe it's going fast? It goes so fast and it's so fun. It's so fun. When can we record again? I want to talk about this one and this one and this thing. And I'm so excited about today's topic. Like this, this is like you said, this is a spicy one. We've got a spicy one for you guys today. Just a quick shout out to everybody that's like, like WhatsApped us or text us or sent us a note to say that they've listened because... I don't know about you, Mead, but it's like, it's making me just like so excited that we're doing this, right? And it just makes me feel like if the people that we know can share it with one person and that one person can maybe get a little unstuck a little quicker, it's all worth it. And so thank you guys for all your messages, every single one of you. We really appreciate them. Yeah, celebrating the effort that it takes to respond and encourage us through your words has been just so meaningful and we're so grateful for that. And it definitely is something where we feel like we, we love sharing because we want other people that feel stuck, you know, to have this sense that they're not alone in this, but also it's really cool because our, like our circle expands of, you know, of women who are women and men who are just, and I want to say like on this journey together, whether it's a freedom from alcohol journey, whether it's a you know, freedom from a different thing journey, or whether it's just, you know, trying to up level their lives, knowing that they are, they are made for and meant for so much more. I mean, it's just the the life journey, the human journey that we all get to do together. It's way more fun together. So it's been fun seeing that little community kind of form around this. So yeah, keep reaching out and let us, let us hear from you and let us, we'd love to connect with you. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Okay. Should we get into the spice? Yeah. Spice it up. <laughs> so yeah, we're like, you know, in anticipation <laughs> of this really spicy one. We are not afraid of spice. We're not friends. afraid of spice. Well, I have to say I have taken quite a lot of online Instagram flack for this, a couple of these opinions surrounding this topic. So I guess, and this is what we, re- we said we were going to start out, off with, right? Is like, we want to give our opinions and a lot of our, like, not a lot, our opinion is backed by our research and our facts, but we want you to also go out and do your own research on all of everything we say, right? Particularly with this topic, we're going to dive into the, the label, specifically the label alcoholic. We want you to do your own research and figure out what you believe. Like, we always stay, we always say, <laughs> stay curious, right? And so... Don't just take our words for it, but this is what, at least for me, a huge piece of the puzzle was, like, of understanding how I could break free, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, this is not a, our intention is not to sell you on what we've discovered as being, you know, the way to do this or the way to see this or, or truth. I mean, we 
talked about in, you know, the mind episode, the difference between like facts and what beliefs are or stories. And, and when we can take like critical thinking skills and apply that through curiosity and figure out how things that we believe, how stories that we tell ourselves and, you know, finding that evidence, finding that research for ourselves and seeing how that makes us feel and seeing how that allows us to show up in the world. And is that aligned to how I want to show up? Like that is, that is this work over and over and over again. And it's the greatest gift that we get to do that. So these are just like one of the things that really kept me stuck. I can see so like, you know, looking back was this idea that, you know, for a long time it was, well, you know, my drinking is normal because, you know, I'm not an alcoholic. And so it allow, I can see how it you know, allowed me based on my air quote, alcoholic definition, you know, I could, I, I was, what I was doing, my drinking was fine because it's not into that like alcoholic category. That's a disease that people have air quote again. And I can see how that gave it that tiny opening as well for then all of a sudden I'm realizing that this isn't working out for me. And then it was that panic of, well, then I must be an alcoholic. So that story of alcoholic and my ever, you know, thinking about one way or the other was it, there were two parts of that that kept me stuck. And so this was something that was really important for me to, you know, get curious about and like, what is an alcoholic and is alcoholism really a disease? And that, you know, that for me was where I started doing all the research and digging in and wow, wow, what I found. <laughs> I just remember like going back, I don't even know when it was, but I was with a girlfriend. We were on vacation somewhere sunny by a pool. I don't even remember where, but I literally distinctly remember thinking and saying out loud to her, like as we were drinking margaritas, I can't imagine a worse fate than being an alcoholic. Like I can't even imagine being able to go on vacation and being sitting here wanting a margarita and not be able to have it. It was literally like the be all end all worst thing that I possibly thought could happen to me, which is bananas. But I just like that. That's how it's like that. You know, it shows you how the stigma for me and for a lot of us is so ingrained. Right. It's like you if you you're either a normal drinker or you're this other drinker that is diseased, that is something's wrong with you. And and it's scary. Right. There's no room for in between. There's no room for like maybe like wine's just not serving me. Maybe I'm just a little bit too tired, right? Because if you, and we're, I mean, obviously at this point in the history of the world, like things are getting so much better. There's massive movements in this, in this movements in the movement, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's not as, as tricky anymore. Although I know in some circles of friends, it still is to say, I'm not drinking tonight, but it used to be, you know, like, well, you either are pregnant or you're an alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's no gray area for that. And you're right. It's that idea that like, this is my fate. Like, you know, you couldn't imagine anything worse than being an alcoholic. And I, I, yeah, I have the same, I have the same thoughts of, well, this is my fate and then there's no cure and this is a disease. And then this is, I mean, this is, that's it. This is, that's it. That's it. Put, put you out to pasture. That's it. And guess what? It made me, it, you know, when those like unconscious thoughts were entertained, and then maybe at some point conscious thoughts entertained, guess what that made me want to do? Yeah. Drink more, drink more. Like, you know, and I just, it, it's one of those that I, I feel like also we should, you know, very from the top kind of say this too. Like there are 
plenty of people that have you know, that the, the label alcoholic and believing in the the disease, again, air quotes, this is going to be like my the episode for the most air quotes used, I think. <laughs> if anybody is counting, this is the one. But if you want to see the air quotes, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, you can always watch us on YouTube. <laughs> the air quote tally over on YouTube. But yeah, like that's, if that is a label that works for you, if believing in the disease model of addiction i.e. alcoholism, if that works for you, if that is helping you live the life that you want to live, if that, if you are in a place of peace with that, you're empowered by that, that works for you, oh my gosh, please keep doing that. Like this is not a, this is not a sell on do it this way and your way is wrong. Like that's what I love about these conversations that you and I get to have, Christy, because you know, we have similar stories and yet they're so different. Our approaches are different. The things that help us are different because we're, we're different people. And that's true of anything. And so just being able to kind of look at it from different angles. So if that is your jam, by all means, go for it. But it certainly was something that kept me stuck thinking, okay, well then what, what point do I become an alcoholic? At what point am I an alcoholic? And then I have to become powerless. I have to surrendered to the substance and do this. And then I, I was trying to create more space in my life with alcohol, not taking up so much space. And then the thought of, you know, with the traditional thinking and my story around what this all looked like to be a problem drinker or an alcoholic, it meant taking up more time in my life, trying just every single day to battle this thing that, that kept me more stuck too. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I obviously agree with everything that you just said and just echo that like, we're not all, you know, what you just said, we're not saying that our way is the only way either. Like we just want everybody to be open-minded to the fact that like there is, and if you could take one thing from this episode, there's more than one way to find freedom. Take what works for you, leave the rest. Like, but, there, but, but I do know one thing for sure. <laughs> And that that is, there isn't only one way and the only way, and here's probably where we're going to get fire, but like, God bless everybody that's listening. AA is not the only way. Yes, you're right. AA is not the only option we have when we notice there is discomfort around our relationship to alcohol. Yeah. I got yeah. you. Yeah. So, and that's, that's the one thing it's just like, and it would, and for me, and I think I said this when I was telling my story and I think it was Holly Whitaker's book, you know. When I realized that I didn't have to use the label, like I remember where I was, I was sitting in a, like a rental cottage in Yorkshire and I read it and I just started, I burst into tears and I was like, there's nothing like, I don't have to use a label. There's like nothing wrong with me. It's the alcohol. That's the problem. I don't have to be called an alcoholic. And it was so freeing. It was so incredibly freeing because I don't know about you, but like, did you do the late night Googling at any point? Oh my gosh, yes. But can I just can I just say real quick? I, yeah. I literally got chills when you said that because it's so visceral that feeling. I know that feeling. Also, I love that you said that like you burst into tears because I, I'm you know I'm gonna take us on a little side tangent here and we'll we'll come back. I go, promise. Go. I love a side road. But when you when you meet the truth of something, I thought this was just anything too. When you meet the truth of something. I cry, like I cry when I am faced with, oh my gosh, the truth of something. There was, there was a, a post I saw recently. I don't even remember what it was. And 
and it hit me. I started crying. I'm like, why am I crying? I yeah. Like, oh, I just met, that was something that I needed to see as like truth and it felt liberating. It wasn't anything to do with alcohol. I, I don't even remember what it was, but, but I love that when you can read something or see something, your, your mind can be expanded to other possibilities that, and, and feel that, that is the opposite of being stuck with that one way thinking like a traditional you know, story around how to change your relationship to alcohol and what that means. So I just had to, yeah, I just had to come back to that, but. Yeah, it's so true. But did you do, go back to the late yeah, night Googling? The <laughs> bring, me, bring me back, focus me back. I, I did eventually, but I'll be honest, I was super, super scared for me to bring awareness to my discomfort around my relationship with alcohol like legit was scarier than jumping out of an airplane. Like, like I've, I've done that twice. Like I've been skydiving twice and just, I have. Wait a minute. We need to. Yeah. Well, and the reason I say that we is because like that's... travels to hotels with four pillows. You are twice. a banana. I know, but like as scary as, that is in my early 20s. I don't know that I could do it now. But anyway, I remember thinking that like bringing awareness to like actually thinking the thought in my head, actually saying it out loud to my girlfriend who I called the first, you know, for the first time and like kind of said out loud that I think I want to, you know, change something with my drinking. I, so my point, I didn't even have the, I didn't even want to Google anything. I was so scared to even Google anything or, you know, to search that. But eventually I did like, well, what is, an, what is an alcoholic and am I one? And that's the mind looking for that like confirmation bias that's, that's going to say, like, once you get to that point, it's like, I need to see the evidence that says that I'm not. So I'm going to search for it. And then I'm going to land on all the things that say that I'm not. Okay. Yeah. Fine, there's, you're free. Yeah. yeah. There's where my story is different. Yep. Nope. I don't have that. I don't have that. I don't have that. So, so yeah, so I was even afraid just, I was afraid to, to search it in the first place. That's how scary this was for me when I first kind of brought awareness to it. Well, I did a little like light research for us just to go like a little bit back on kind of where the, where the label came to be. Right. So some Swedish, Swedish physician in 1849 needed to come up with something to diagnose all the physiological like symptoms of drinking too much. So that guy is the one that coined alcoholism. And then in 1918, this history is important, you guys, because that's when the American Psychiatric Association put it in their handbook. And that was kind of as a mental disorder to then kind of label all the really, really severe aspects of drinking, which is like hallucinations, tremors, delirium, amnesia, paranoia, like all of that stuff, right? So we're way, way, way back. And then it actually wasn't like properly, properly coined to the point that like you and I are talking about it today until 1935, which is still way, way back by AA. But let's, let's just be really clear here, you guys. At no point in the history of this term did a, like a doctor find, find a gene, find anything that said you get to take a blood test and you are given this label. Like it is people subjectively giving the label. And so when I learned that, I was like, oh, okay. Like I, I know that there are people that believe that this is an allergy, but there's actually not a test to determine if you are aller allergic to alcohol or not. I don't believe, right? 
And there is a very, very small, very, 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 very small part of the population that is allergic to alcohol. And they're the ones that get really flushed, right? Like red and all of that. But that's not the way that we've been, society's been conditioned to use it. And so I think that's so important, right? Because it wasn't ever this thing that came into being because it was a diagnosable by a doctor who had taken, do you know what I'm saying? Like who had taken either a blood test or something to give you this label. We give the label to ourselves. Or if you explain now to a doctor that your life is really, really unmanageable and still that could go either way. Like I've had, I've had clients who have gone to their doctor, said how much they were drinking, wishing that they could somehow find some like label in a relief in a label. And the doctor saying, well, it sounds like everybody else in this town to me. You know what I mean? So jump in here and help me. Please tell me if I was, I was wrong or in like in any of the allergy stuff, but that's what I've, that's what my research is. Yeah. No. And the same thing when I, when I've searched it, like I, you know, I found an article from, I think it was Mayo Clinic and it says alcohol, alcoholism or alcoholic is usually, this is again, air quotes, usually self-diagnosable. Symptoms include a strong need or urge to use alcohol. Those with alcohol, so this is where it also brings an alcohol use disorder, which is now yeah. the preferred term, which is, which is great. And we can kind of get into that a little bit, but you know, those with alcohol use disorder may have problems controlling their drinking, continue to use alcohol even when it causes problems or have withdrawal symptoms when they decrease or stop their drinking. Well, I mean, I can look at those, what, two sentences and I can see where, like, we'll define problems controlling their drinking. What, you know, like, that is so subjective to use alcohol even when it causes problems. Well, that's what was so... It's an addictive substance that changes your biochemistry and hijacks your cognitive ability to function and your depresses your nervous system. I mean, those are problems, right? Like, but and that's not obviously what I think they mean here, but that's the point. Like that is so gray. That is so, you know, kind of left into, you know, interpretation. So that's why it's usually self-diagnosable because it depends on, you know, whatever you want to make it mean. We talk about like stories and the meanings we give and all of that kind of stuff. That is like the problem for me with my drinking. Plenty of people would live in this space. What my drinking looked like, plenty of people would live in that space and not think maybe they have a problem with drinking, right? Like that's, great for me it was for me what I was experiencing was you know a problem but even that saying I have a problem is to me you know defeating and doesn't create the you know the feeling that I need to to have that motivation to do anything about it so which is why I always go back to the the problem is an addicted addiction to drinking it's addiction to our thinking Thinking. yeah yeah Yeah. 100% So without that, yeah, without those, you know, without that test that says like, this is, you know, a fact that you have this disease, I I don't know. And then the research that I found too, I found this so interesting is, is they say things like, you know, the disease model, like it's a, it's a model, the the disease model narrative. 
This is all from PubMed and the NIH. Deep in this, deep, I went deep in these archives. There's all kinds of the brain disease model of addiction. That's, you know, that's one thing. The behavior model, it's like there are all these different, and that's great. Like, let's look at all the different ways that we can look at this so that we can find the ways in which we can help the most people, but not limiting ourselves or who we can help or putting it into this like one size fits all bucket of this is how you have to do this. And therefore now I have to, you know, own that I am an alcoholic. I'm powerless. I, you know, I'm going to be going to meetings all the time. I'm one day at a time for the rest of my life and trying every single day not to drink like that. Oh my gosh. Like that for me does not, did not work. And if that, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. And my, like my sobriety, and this is another like time that I burst into tears in the very beginning of my journey was when I like re-stumbled upon second Corinthians 12, nine, you know, like his power is made perfect in my weakness. And I was just like, oh my gosh, my weakness is drinking. And like, he's gonna, the power is, I'm, I feel powerful. And so when you said like, admit that you're powerless, like I, I didn't feel powerless at all when I was going through this, if anything, in doing this journey, I felt more powerful than ever. And so it's like, that didn't make sense to me either. Yeah, yeah, completely. And, and that's where it's all about, I mean, like my goal as a coach is not to, you know, tell someone what to do or, you know, give them a guide, give them a guide, a playbook for how to do things. Or my goal as a coach is to empower somebody because when they're empowered, that is a feeling that leads to being able to do, you know, show up the actions, the behaviors, the open to learning. And that's what helps us find our, find our freedom, find our way. And so, yeah, thinking about that and, you know, I, I Kurt Thompson, I'm, I'm not sure I've mentioned him yet on the podcast. I've been trying to practice restraint because I just, I'm such a fan of his work. He's so wise, so brilliant. And I heard him recently say that Dr. Kurt Thompson say that, you know, like we're all addicted to something, right? And, and, and it's so true. And, you know, back in biblical times, like they called it idolatry. Today we call it addiction, but it's the same, you know, it's the same kind of idea. And so whether it's an addictive substance that obviously is going to accelerate that, you know, that process of dependency, I guess you should say, or it's, something that we, you know, a habit or tendency we have that we're, and it's taking up too much space in our lives, you know, and keeping us from what is true and right and real and where we want to be, you know, connected to the Lord. Like that's, that's a place of exploration and opening to that allows us to also see, yeah, like he does make us powerful in our weakness and, you know, that's the great, that's the great gift of, of being in relationship with him. Yeah. So good. So good. Yeah. And I just think that like, you know, in general, any label that keeps you, keeps you stuck because you don't want to, you know, in, in the case of like being, you know, an alcoholic and having to go to AA and all that stuff, if you don't, if you don't foresee yourself going that direction and you don't know that there's another way, it can feel really lonely. And the other thing too, is that like, 
Yeah, I guess I'm just trying to say if you if you if you feel like that is the only way, you I know it kept me stuck. I know it kept me stuck. It kept me stuck because I didn't think that there was any other way. And I think the fact that I did this whole thing in COVID, well, I know it was a blessing for a lot of reasons, but I think one of the blessings was that like I couldn't even go to an AA meeting. Like there was no meetings. There was nothing to do. So I had to find like another way because I know I've coached quite a few women, you know, that go down the AA route to begin with because they're, they're, they're desperate to find help and community, which is awesome. And the fact that it is everywhere is awesome. Like, no, again, like I'm not totally trying to shade the, the whole thing here, but you know, they, they then come to me just saying that they just, they went and they went and they did the meetings and they did the meetings and they got the days, you know, the days counting the days, the days, the days, but there was never that sense of freedom. There was never that sense of liberation or kind of like ultimate relief. It, it did still feel like a daily battle. And I hear that a lot on my Instagram, you know, every take every day at a time. And I do think that there's merit in that in the very beginning. Take one a day at a time. Don't get me wrong. But like it shouldn't be one day at a time for the rest of your life. It feels like one day at the re- like if it feels like it's one day at a time for the rest of your life, then like I just hope that we can both offer you the fact that there is like another way to that thinking, right? There is another way to find just like total, like total freedom from alcohol ruling your thoughts, from the cravings, from the desire to drink. Like it can, it is possible. Like I, for one was, didn't, I never thought that was a possibility. Did you? Like, I never thought that was a possibility. I thought I was going to be like, okay, this is my bed. I'm going to make it. I will probably just still want to drink. Like I have zip zero desire to ever touch alcohol again because I just don't want to drink it, you know? And if you would have told 2018, 19 Christy that, like I would have been like laughed in your face and rolled my eyes and topped up my rosé, you know? Sorry, yeah, that, no, you're not. No, I love that so much. I, I mean, I, that's how I, when I first kind of came to awareness, I mean, I remember telling Todd, so like clearly I was like, it's either you know, continue doing what I'm doing, which is wine taking up way too much space in my life. So drinking miserably, you know, setting the rules, doing the, like, I'm not going to drink tonight and then drinking again, you know, and so I'm either going to continue drinking miserably or my other option is to continue or to, you know, to try not to drink every single day for the rest of my life. Like to me, that was miserable or miserable. miserable. Those were the two options. And so I was like, well, might as well be miserable with a glass of wine in my hand. That yes. I mean, that kept me, it actually made my drinking accelerate at that point because I was stuck with, when you're stuck, you don't have a choice. It's miserable or miserable. And so, you know, this, this conversation, I love that we're not afraid of the spicy, please don't cancel us people, but also like it's such an important one because it was so so critical for me in being able to see that there is, y'all, there's always more than just two ways of doing things. When you feel stuck with like miserable or miserable, I promise you there's always a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth. You just have to look for them. You have to get curious. You have to open to that. And that's where putting down the weapons of blame and shame, that's where giving ourselves the grace for, you know, the only genetic predisposition to air quotes, having a problem for drinking is the G is related to being human. Like, because you are human, you are genetically predisposed to 
you know, use things that, you know, avoid pain, seek pleasure. Like it goes back to, you know, some of that, that basic stuff, but anybody can become addicted to an addictive, addictive substance or have addictive habits or tendencies. And so as long as we're in that place thinking there's something wrong with us, there's a flaw in me, this is a, you know, life sentence. Well, you know, it's in my family. And so then I'm just even like, I think about like my relationship to anxiety. I knew that I came from a long line of anxious people. And so as long as I believed that I was predisposed to anxiety, I continued showing up as someone who had anxiety because I believed that that was also a fate of mine, if you will. Whereas even just opening to that, like, well, what is possible if I don't believe, and I don't want to get into the whole, like, yeah, I mean, we're not going into all the, the weeds, you know, we're not doctors, we're not, you know, going there, but, but just what if it's possible that anxiety isn't something I'm predisposed to, like genetically, what if it's just something I've been around and I've been kind of conditioned in that sense, my, you know, nervous system response to that. And what would be possible if I didn't believe I was predisposed to this? Well, I'd feel empowered. Like I could maybe do something about it. And that was a huge kind of one for me as well. And thinking, you know, in these terms of like, what do we believe and what labels do we carry? I am an anxious person. Well, I come from a long line of anxious people. Well, how does that, how does that serve me? It's a, it doesn't. And similarly, you know, the alcoholic label. Yeah. That does not serve me. I don't even love saying like, I'm, I'm alcohol free or leading with that because also that doesn't, it doesn't define my drinking status does not define me. It's not my identity. Whether I drink or not is not my identity. My identity is in the creator. Preach. I mean, like, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I mean, but like, duh, like it took having to get curious and to yeah. see that and to be reminded of that. And we can't get curious. We can't open to learning when we're in that place of shame and blame, literally that part of our brain that we need to learn to critically think, to get curious is not online. And so, you know, the, one of the, the best first parts of, you know, this naked mind book, it's that it's attempting to get right at that. Let's put down these weapons of blame and shame and just open to the possibilities. What is possible if I don't believe what I believe? Yeah. It's so good. I love everything you just said so much. It's like, why do we automatically go to the identity of either being a drinker or non-drinker? Like, we're just so much more than that. We're just so, so, so much more than that, you know? And I've had, like, women plop it down in front of me and be like, well, come from a long line of alcoholics. And my first question is always like, who would you be without that thought? Who would you be without that thought? Who would you be without that label over your head? what would that open up for you? You know? And it's just like, they kind of look at me like, but this is just the way that it's always been. So like, this is the way it's always going to be. And it's in my family and I must be, have a problem. And the, you know, stigma perpetuates and continues forever and ever, unfortunately, but we're trying to break it. But yeah. Yeah. It, and, it, and it's one of those that I back in 2019 would have done the same thing. Like, I didn't know that I was, this is another thing I think is like, I didn't know I was allowed to question what I believed. Yeah. So one of the things I think is so interesting about this stuff, right, is that again, like it puts the onus on, on the, on the person as opposed to the substance. Whereas, you know, we have 
we, we don't have, I should say, cigaretteaholics or cocaineaholics or all these other things, right? And, and the other thing, too, along the, the same lines is that when you quit, when you quit smoking, you're not diagnosed with a disease. You're given a high five and a pat on the back for quitting smoking. You're not given a lifelong sentence of you are now a cigaretteaholic for the rest of your life and I wish you the best of luck, but you need to come to a meeting. Right? It's bananas. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's like alcohol and drugs. Like, why do we say, why does alcohol, why is that separate from drugs even? You know, when we refer to the substance of alcohol or we're talking about in general, it's alcohol and drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, alcohol is a drug. Why does it... Why is it separated out? There are more alcohol-related deaths daily in this world, you know, due to alcohol than meth, than some well, of the, than, than any drug combined. Yeah, than any drug. I think I think it is, and someone tell me if we're wrong, but I think it's that alcohol kills more people than any drug, legal or illegal, combined or something. Like it's bananas. But because of the power of big alcohol, because of the power of conditioning, and because you know, the third whammy is this, I believe, somewhat to do with this label. You know, it is, we just, that's why we keep them separate, right? That's why we think they're two different things. One is scary, dangerous, and one is like societally accepted. Accepted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, you have to think about who benefits off of alcohol being downplayed as not being a drug, not being in the category of a drug. You think about how insane it would be to, to see a, a commercial for cocaine, you know, at the Super Bowl. Like, think about that. We'd never see, we'd never see that. Yeah. But yet here it is that that's what we see. That's what we're being conditioned by that. It's this kind of benign substance. That's, you know, the elixir of life, the thing that's gonna, you know, help us connect and do all, you know, and like all the things. And, and it's just not, it's just not true. And nobody is immune to it's uh, addictive pull on us. Nobody is immune to that. Any human can become addicted to an addictive substance. Yeah, yeah. And there's so many groups fighting. And I actually sat in on one like very, like recently over here in the UK, an all parliamentary like lobbying group, basically lobbying parliament to put labels on alcohol, right? And there's and there's various groups I know in the US, the UK, and I think in you know France as well that are doing, they're doing two different things. There's groups that are lobbying just solely for the nutritional content because, mm-hmm. I mean, hello, it's bananas that we don't have the calorie content and the fact that it's ethanol on there. Like it is the ingredients. carcinogen. Yeah. We don't have that. Okay, that's just, just the ingredients and then in and of themselves. But then there's also the, the, the lobbying groups. Like why don't we have a warning label? Because look at like, I mean, okay, this is where your expertise is going to come in, babe. Because, because tell us, the pharmaceutical things that you wrapped with the like laundry list, like you are in America. My kids, you know, we're here in London. They go back to the UK. They watch these medical commercials for drugs. And they're like, this grandpa is going to die of all these things because he's taking this pill, mama. Like, it's just like, why? Do, but we have nothing for alcohol. It shows you what we are up against. It shows you what we're up against, right? Like, this is the power of, it's the power of big alcohol. And it's the power of like how far we we have gotten in this society that like, it's just like, no big deal. Take, get your Xanax. 
I mean, what? Like, I was. Did you see watch Dope Sick with Michael? Is it Michael Crichton? Batman. <laughs> the Batman actor. Oh, I didn't see that one. No. Oh, Dope Sick. It's all about the opioid crisis. It's on Disney Plus. And, and I was just watching it thinking to myself, but there's no dot, there's no documentary. There's no, there's no bio, there's nothing talking about the gajillions of lives that lives that big alcohol has destroyed, destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I love that there is this shift and there's this movement too. And I remember, I mean, it was a couple of years ago when there was a news story about Canada trying, like trying this label of warning people, you know, putting this warning label on alcohol and, and it was, it was shot down. Correct me if I'm wrong. What my understanding then was that it didn't pass. And, and that's where to your point, there are all of these warning labels for a million other things. And yet here's this substance, the same thing again, this was just so mind blowing. I always come back to this too, like literally ethanol, the thing that goes in my gas tank. That is the substance that is in this. So how, I mean, going back to like usually self-diagnosable in these words, like, you know, when it causes, continue to use alcohol, even when it causes problems. Well, just the simple fact that you're putting ethanol into your body, that's causing a problem. I mean, you may not see it for a long time, but that's a problem. And then, you know, I, I think about too how, I don't know if this was over there, but during, you know, the pandemic, how all of a sudden, you know, ever all these places were, were shut down. All these businesses were shut down, but the bars were still open. And by the way, now you can have alcohol delivered to your door. Yeah. So I know like, let's, let's take when people are really having a hard time and let's make it more, you know, give them better access to the thing that is only going to make things worse because it's a drug it's a drug that we've dra- we've dressed up and separated out and called alcohol and not put it into the category of, of drugs and then explain it away when people do end up having like outward, you know, problems with it that are noticeable to other people. Then we explain it with this label that keeps them disempowered and further stuck and fighting every single day, trying not to drink this, giving all of their power to this to this substance and it's you gotta you just gotta wonder like who's who's benefiting from that like don't cancel me but I mean there's a lot of money to be made a hundred percent a hundred percent I don't know if this is gonna get too spicy so like you tell me but one oh, of like the things <laughs> one it. of the things that I've been thinking about too is like within the church I think for some reason, there is a bigger resistance to open-mindedness surrounding other models that are not Alcoholics Anonymous. And I don't know if that is because of its origins and the fact that it, you know, was very puritanical, like met in churches, mentions God. And so it is so ingrained in us that it is the only biblical way. I don't know. Like, I just want to talk about it. What, like, do you feel like that too? Yeah. Oh, so true. I'm so glad you brought this up. And, and I like, it's interesting because I can think about my journey and I can think about how as a Christian, how, cause I hear this a lot in the, you know, the groups I coach in and things and, you know, folks who are not Christians, like there, a lot of them are averse to that AA model because of the, you know, the God piece. Right. But similarly me as a Christian, I was super averse to it because it, it, like it, it didn't feel authentic. It didn't feel 
it didn't feel real to me, but I think it is one of those things that is a, it's, it's hard to be messy in church, right? Like church is the place that we show up on Sunday when we're like looking our best and put together and, you know, drinking alcohol can have devastating effects to people's lives. Like I also don't want to like downplay, you know, the extreme here, even though that wasn't exactly our stories, but it's messy. And so I wonder how much of that comfort and only seeing it one way comes from, it's, it's a messy thing to have to dive into and nobody wants to do that or Mm, we're doing it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. Like, and there's that resistance. And so for, yes. And so I just offered that other side too, to say like, it wasn't, I was super resistant to a too, even as a Christian, because there was something about the whole, like, I'm going to be feeling worse. Like that didn't add up to me. And then I think about how shame is the weapon of evil. And so anything that is going to perpetuate shame for me is not is my like clue that I'm partnering with evil. And so that doesn't feel like freedom. That's not freedom. Yeah. So it's largely, good. it's largely why I say like, I'm not sober. I'm free because it's not about my, whether I'm sober, whether I'm drinking, whether I'm not drinking, I'm, I'm, I found freedom through empowerment around getting curious about my relationship to alcohol, figuring out why it was taking up so much space in my life, figuring out like how to change that what lies did I believe? What beliefs, what stories were, you know, keeping me stuck doing this thing that I didn't want to be doing? And how was that affecting all of my relationships and my connections and, you know, so on and so forth. But it's, yeah, I think it is something that it's hard for people. Maybe this is my, that would be my theory. Like, because it's messy. Yeah. Like AA offers that kind of like tidy solution. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there is something to be said too for like, and I understand anonymous in like that, you know, if if this is something that you want to keep confidential, I get that. I think we're to the point, though, now where like keeping it anonymous is keeping you stuck in the shame and keeping you stuck in the shame is keeping you more trapped. And if you can only and if you can only then relate to the people that have gotten to the point where that's the system that they're in, you're missing out on talking to people other people. You know what I mean? I don't know. I think there's something around that too. I totally agree. It's that isolation, the, yeah, that kind of being disconnected from everybody else and that isolation. And that's that perfect. I mean, that's, that's where evil wants us. That's where evil will, you know, do its best work. And, and so it's that it's in thinking about all of these ideas and, figuring out for ourselves, like, where do I feel the best? Because the way that we feel is going to drive the actions that we take in life. And so what feels right to me? Maybe it's asking these questions, you know, like, am I an alcoholic? I don't even know. What is an alcoholic? I'm going to do some research and do my own research and see. And maybe it's meeting it with with tears. Like when you find the truth, like you, you did so beautifully, like that that's liberation. That's freedom. And that's what, gosh, that's my greatest hope for people is that they can experience liberation, freedom from something that is keeping them stuck and, and where the Lord isn't separate from that, of course. Like that's, that's the piece that I think was the rub for me with AA. It felt like 
it felt almost a little too prescriptive in that, in that way that took away the relational side of my, my faith, that it just didn't quite feel right. But, you know, to each of own. Yeah. I mean, I don't even want to chime in on that because that was just so good and I feel like so beautiful and let's, yeah, so good. I mean, and just the only thing like maybe to add is just that, like you, like you mentioned, like if the word sober doesn't work for you, don't use that either. Like I have that in my business name because honestly, I was sitting on the couch with Ella and we were trying to come up with my logo and we came up with Love Life Sober together. And I was like, this is the cutest moment ever. This is what I'm using. But also like, you know, the word sober didn't hold that stigma for me. It doesn't, it, it doesn't, I don't have any men, like emotional or mental charge with that word at all. But like if the word sober bugs you, don't use that either. <laughs> well, and that's what I love about like us being able to have these conversations because we like, that's what feels good to you. And similarly for me, yeah, like the word sober was something that it evoked deprivation and lack and a life sentence. And so none of, as long as that was what was evoked from that word or like defining me too, it felt like very like you're either like sober or you're normal. And, and that, that felt, you know, a little off for me. And so, you know, pick, yeah, you get to choose how you describe your, you know, your experiences or, or what your, what your journey looks like. Similarly with recovery, that's a word that I've never loved. And I steer like, I'm like, this isn't recover. Recovery to me is like something I have to do, something I'm forced to do. There's something wrong. Some, again, it goes back to that, like something wrong, there's lack, I've got to fix something. And this is my life sentence. And I have to always be working at this. Like, I say this is a discovery journey. Like that, we get to discover I love amazing that. things about ourselves and our conditioning and our stories and where those are getting in our way so that we can have, you know, so that we can align to our values and have the meaningful relationships that we want with others and the Lord. I mean, all the things taking us out of that, like B minus living to, you know, to more. Did I, have I told that story yet of, when I, when I heard that and where that's, that's not a me thing. Have I told that? No, we, I don't think so. Kind of wrap it on a, a lighter note. Yeah. Do that story. Bob Goff. I mean, I'm sure most people, most listeners here are familiar with Bob Goff. He's just speaking of like people who, which we weren't, but speaking of things that like just bring, evoke good things, like just the way he talks and his words and his writing. I love, I love his stuff. I had a devotional of his, gosh, I'll, I'll put it in the, in the show notes, but I can't think of the name of it now. And, and it said, you know, we need more B minus transformation stories. Like, you know, it's easy to see the rock. So like to me, what came out, and this was a couple of years ago, what, what came up to me was, yes, like I only had the idea that you had to have a rock bottom and declare that you're an alcoholic and surrender and all these things and the rest of my life, this is what I'm gonna be dealing with. And that meant that things had to get a whole lot worse before you know, before I could do something about it, but then I'd be forced to do something about it and then I'd be in this recovery and this this thing that I'm always have to working towards. Like that was my idea. And so, I mean, I was already free from alcohol when I read this, but it was just like, yes, like, gray area drinking, you know, that's how I would describe myself as a gray area drinker where from the outside looking in, it doesn't look like someone has a quote air quotes problem, but from the inside out, like you feel like it's just, it's not serving you. So like 
I'm like, gray area drinking is kind of that B minus transformation story that I was like, oh, it doesn't have to get worse for me to experience the freedom and peace that I so desire so that I can live into what I've been called to live into as a beloved daughter of the almighty King and, you know, working with him to, yeah, share that love. I love it. I love it so much. Let's wrap with our tiny Tina. Stay curious, get curious, change your thinking. But no, but like really, I guess like one prompt that would come to my mind from this would be like, who would you believe? I mean, who would you be? What would be different for you in your life if you weren't fill in the blank? All of the labels. So whether it's something that you thought, I'm an alcoholic or I'm an, I'm an anxious person or, you know, whatever you've, you've, you've like, what would be different for you just if? you weren't that, what would that change? Who would you be without that thought? Who would you be without that thought? Yeah. What would be different for you? And how does that, how does that feel? And okay, you know, cause I always, you know, have to throw in more too, but, but also really pay attention to how you feel from this episode. I think that would be a place where this, this episode maybe caused, stirred some discomfort. Maybe it was, notice where you're feeling discomfort, find it in your body, get really connected to what like sensation is around that. And then maybe, you know, journal about like, there's some discomfort, discomfort and curiosity are our greatest allies if we use them. And so welcoming whatever discomfort you're feeling, if you're feeling discomfort from this conversation, turning to curiosity is how we, how we get a a chance to learn, to discover, to be on a discovery journey that that helps us get out of our B minus living. So, so good. So, so good. So good. Love doing this spicy combo. Yay, spice. Mm. All right, ladies, we will see you and any gents that might be listening, but mainly ladies, we'll see you next Monday. Bye y'all. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. You can find all of our episodes at butjesusdrankwine.com and make sure you follow us over on the gram at Love Life Sober with Christy and Mead at I'm Not Sober, I'm Free. To learn more about what we do, you can visit our websites at meadhollandshirley.com and lovelifesober.com. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it with a friend or two. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't have to worry about missing a single episode. And if you love what we're doing, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. This helps more women who are feeling stuck and alone in the overdrinking cycle to find hope and encouragement. Thanks, ladies. We so appreciate you. We'll see you next week.